I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. It's time for the Life Writing Podcast with your hosts, authors and screenwriters Stephen Barnes and Tanana Reeve Du. All about creating the project of your dreams while living a balanced artist's life. Be the hero or heroine of your own story. Sponsored by LifeWritingPremium.com. Get ready to write for your life. Welcome to the Life Writing Podcast, where married authors and screenwriters Stephen Barnes and Tanana Reeve do talk about writing during stressful times, breaking into Hollywood, and balancing life. Every week, we'll share new tips on how to build a better life while you create your dream projects. Even if it's only at the rate of one sentence a day, life writing is the application of the tools of writing to life and the tools of life to your writing. Hey, here we are. Yes. I, I love doing this podcast with you, honey. I'm, I live, when I say, oh, my God, I'm so excited to be here. I actually mean that. Oh, you know, I'm, I'm so glad we have a lot of fun together. But the fact is, you can't take that for granted. No. You cannot take that for granted. So, you know, we're starting our second 90-day love feast. Yes. And, and, you know, I just want to compete with you every day to see which one of us can be sweeter. To <laughs> I do. know. It's the best competition <laughs> I'm ever. I'm going to win. I'm going to win. It's the best one. It's since you brought it up. Because you're number one. No, it's your number one. No, so you're I'm number one. Well, <laughs> since you brought it up, you know, we it's, ought to just yeah. talk about what's going on. I feel the spirit. <laughs> I can't have an amen. Okay. 
it's just coursing through me right now. So yes, we we drove to Lake Arrowhead over the weekend, which is about an hour, not quite an hour yeah. from where we live. But it's so funny. You can go from just, you know, your regular Southern California suburban neighborhood. And then you start driving up the twisty mountain road, literally into the clouds, right? So the road gets very foggy. All of a sudden, the temperature has dropped 20 degrees. You're, I'm wearing layers. It was actually a pretty nice spooky environment for me in the passenger seat i was loving it i don't know how much fun it was for you in the driver's seat though well it was it required more focus yeah than it, than it sometimes does that's the only way that i interpret driving challenges most of the time it's just like this is intense you know this is more intense this takes more focus but the point was that we were going to go up there and, and by the side of the lake, we decided yeah. we were going to renew our 90-day vows. Hold hands. Um, so it was, you know, the, all the way up there, we're listening to Stephen King. Yes, we were. Listening Holly. To the, the relationship course and trying to re- remember that there are these three levels to relationships. So that's one way of looking at it. The, the purely transactional, rela- not even transactional, it's just the selfish relationship. I want what I want. I'm going to get it out of you. Mm-hmm. Then there's the transactional relationship, which is kind of, I'll do you if you do me. Mm-hmm. And then the the kind of relationship that we want, the third level relationship, is each of us is doing all we can to uplift the other with no, there's no transaction fee. There's yes. no automatic, well, you know, I did for you, where's mine? That's but what we're doing. You want to be in a relationship with someone who you can trust. That way you can simply focus on giving everything and you know you're not going to end up empty. Because the other person's a giver too, so you have to be careful about that. You have to make sure that they're a giver. But Tanana Reeve, you know, you you are a giver. I mean, you're naturally to your community, to your readers, very, very, very generous in that sense. And I'm really blessed to mm-hmm. have you in my life. You know, it it is it is one of the miracles of life that we found each other. Honey, back at you. I could not agree more. And that's. <laughs> oh wait, I didn't mean to do it twice. Anyway. Uh... But I couldn't agree more. As the actress said to the bishop. (laughs) And it was so sweet to hold your hand and stare into your eyes and renew those, that love feast vow, which is just remembering to put each other first, trying a little extra harder every day. We were bringing a pretty good game already, but just to try a little bit harder every day. I got tired and scattered toward the end of that period. Now, here's the thing that. All mastery in life is the ability to every day do things with enthusiasm that most people get bored of doing or are aversive to, aver, averse to doing. Mm-hmm. If you can keep your enthusiasm for a story or a script or a book or an exercise routine or a dietary pattern for day after day, week after week, month after month. So the night, the love feast, you know, it is obvious that I should be able to give all the love that I have to the per to somebody who is a sexy and sweet and, you know, and, and brilliant, beautiful partner and mother. That's easy. But when I find that I have a hard time maintaining focus for three months, with you? What does that tell me about, about the other things in my life? That the capacity to continue to focus is the only talent that I really believe exists. I mean, I'm not literally being honest. I know what you mean. I know what you but, mean. But it takes you a long way in give every me that. endeavor. Give yes. me someone who is willing to focus with enthusiasm over time, and I will turn them into a master martial artist. I will turn them into a a published author. I will show them how they can find love in their lives. That thing, being able to keep digging. So, you know, there are ways in which I'm using this to help me 
with my career, you know, help me get ready to go to the Philippines in, 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 in February. But, you know, what, what was your, what was your thoughts, Peter? No, I just, I'm just excited that we have recommitted. I love the impact of our love feast. I, you know, I've discussed how I'm less defensive. We, we can talk things out more. I'm just loving it, loving it, loving it. And there's a whole bunch more I could talk about. But we have a guest. We have such a great guest. And I wanted guest. to in- introduce our guest, a New York Times bestseller. Zakia Delila Harris wrote The Other Black Girl. And if you haven't heard about it, you need to go out and read it or and or watch the Hulu series, which is on right now, which I am deep, deep, deep into and so excited about. Let me read a little bit about uh, Zakia. She uh, she has an MFA in nonfiction creative writing from the New School, BA from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. My friend Lucina went to North Carolina and born and raised in Connecticut. So now she's in Brooklyn with her husband, growing collection of plants. Her debut novel, you heard me say this, debut novel, The Other Black Girl, was a New York Times bestseller already on TV. Okay, so that says a lot, both about this book and about the state of the industry right now, that that is even a thing that can happen. Other writing of hers can be found in Esquire, Cosmopolitan, Guernica, The Rumpus, and The New York Times. Please welcome to our studio live, Zakia Delila Harris. Yay! I'm letting that applause. I'm letting that applause go on extra long because of that impossible feat. Of being a New York Times bestselling debut author who already has a show up on now. The book came out in 2021. This is 2023, it's already on the air. So that is incredible. And before we say anything and let you say, I uh I well, first let me let you say hi. No, hi. I'm sorry, I was just letting that applause just wash over me. Oh, because thank you. Uh, I the viewers can't see this, but I'm holding the epigraph up to the camera because yes. this book has, I must say, a pretty amazing epigraph. It does. It does. It does. Do you remember? By the way, you probably don't remember this, but I like slid into your DMs before the book came out, and I was like, "Hi, my name is Akia Talila Harris." I was like, "I don't know if she's gonna respond or like, you know." I was just like, "Ugh." And so, anyway, the fact that you allowed me to use your amazing words in the beginning of my novel. Just thank you so much for that. And thank you for having me. This is so cool. Y'all are relationship goals. I just love everything about this. So I can't wait to chat. Oh, well, wait, let me say what the, uh, the epigraph <laughs> is real first before we go on. Oh, yes. I'll read it. Um, black history is black horror. Tanana Revdu from Horror Noir, A History of Black Horror, which was the 2019 Shudder documentary. Sorry, Steve, you go on. No, I was going to say that to have that much success all at one time suggests a very deep level of internal integration. You're doing something right. That, that My guess is that you're writing honestly and that what you're writing is appealing to enough people that people could see how it could work, you know, in, in, in a, a book form or in television form, and you've also done, you know, nonfiction. So there's something about your perspective, and you've been able to keep a hold of something real. And what I would like to know very, very much is, does that make sense to you? And can you tell us anything about how, about your path? How how did you hold on to your heart? 
Yes. Oh man, what a great question. I mean, I, as you mentioned in the bio, I, I went to the, the new school and I actually applied for both fiction and nonfiction. I was waitlisted for fiction, which is something that when I went back a couple of weeks ago, I kind of dropped the mic. It was like, remember, remember how you waitlisted me? But That's I'm so point. grateful. Yeah, but I mean, I'm so grateful now that they did because being in the nonfiction program at the new school, first of all, it's just a smaller program. I feel like I got to know the people in my classes better. I was maybe one of the youngest people in the program. I was 21 when I started. Mm-hmm. I was very much aware of the like, what does she know about, you know? What do you have to write herself? about? Memoir. Exactly. You just got here, lady. No. Exactly. Exactly. But truly, I was, in a way, I was coming of age again at that time because I moved to the city. As you also we said, I, I grew up in Connecticut, went to UNC Chapel Hill for college, which was kind of its own culture shock. I didn't have any family in North Carolina, family in other places down South, but something about that school really drew me in. But there's also just a vibe there that was very different. And this is pre-Trump, but like there's still a Confederate statue on campus, still a lot of buildings named after KKK members, Mm. but then Black athletes were put on this pedestal that was like very, there's just a lot of interesting racial dynamics that didn't quite make sense to me as someone coming from Connecticut, where of course there's racism, but, and other roots of racism, you know, from, from the past, but they weren't expressed in the same way, obviously. So anyway, I had that experience down South, kind of found my Black sisterhood, if you will, uh, for my first time, like living with Black women who were somewhere natural, somewhere not natural, um, very different from again, where I had grown up in Connecticut. And then after that, went straight to do my MFA in nonfiction. And as I'm in New York, kind of taking in the scene, living in the city for the first time, you know, it's 2014, 15, 16. So we have Black Lives Matter. We have Eric Garner. We have Michael Brown. And Mm -hmm. we have so many names and things that are happening. There are protests. I'm, you know, riding the train and I'm seeing just a way diverse group of people than I've ever seen in in North Carolina or in Connecticut. And so my awareness was just opening up and I started reading, this sounds cliche, but it's cliche for a reason, started reading a lot of Baldwin, uh, started reading just a lot of criticism and, and learning about all the different ways other Black people have processed their Blackness, specifically in the U.S. over time. And I started thinking about my own experiences and how now, I was mostly around white people as a young person, aside from my family. Like I had the Black history lesson at home. And then at school, I had kind of this white kind of world. And right there with you, sister. Same experience. Yes. You know, it's like you're lit like, and I just felt not placeless for a while, but just until I met that sisterhood at UNC, I just really felt like this like out of sorts Black girl who, you know, listen to Rod Stewart and also listen to Michael Jackson and also listen, like had all of these like influences in my life and started writing about that. I started writing about going natural about my decision to make the big chop, which happened, I think in 2015 around, I just cut all my hair off one day. It started writing about what it was like to work at the pie shop that I worked at the day that I had also seen, you know, the video of Philando Castile being murdered in his car. Like, what it's like to just have to things that like black people have been talking about and writing about for a while, but I was just really finally comfortable having those conversations with myself. And so a lot of those essays ended up 
going into Nella's experience of growing up in a mostly white space and, you know, having a white partner is another thing and, and how comfortable she is around white people, but at what expense, like, what is she sacrificing? A lot of those things ended up going into this novel in a way that I don't think if I had gotten in for fiction and and opted to do fiction, I don't think the story would have necessarily turned out this way. I think it would have been written, but I think it would be different. And I'm, I'm just happy I got a chance to figure out who I was first before starting to write this story. I, you know? I, I love it. So you had to dig deeply. You had yes. to find out who you were. You had to sort of interrogate your own experience as you were going. I, mm-hmm. I mean, there's so much and so much of what you just <laughs> described. Don't, don't forget the contextualization of history and current events that was provided in her home. If she's getting Black history yes. lessons at home yes. and then history lessons at school, she's able to kind of say, oh, this is how I fit into this world, which mm-hmm. is I think that, that we are all asking, how do we fit here? Where, right, right. where are we in the midst of this? And if you if you have that advantage, like you had it, Tananarif, then that's that's beautiful. That's, I talk about how about your level of integration. Yes. If you don't have that, then you need to go out and find it. Yeah, whatever everything. it is, you know, if you're if you're gay or you're queer or you're a, a woman and you feel like you're in a man's world or whatever it is that you are, find yeah. that. Now I'm gonna guess the the nonfiction essays that you wrote deeply informed your novel. For sure. I mean, even just, I mean, hair for absolutely, but even just the the simple dynamic or not simple, it's very, I think it's very com- complex, but that idea that every Black person or the hope, right, that every Black person that you come into contact with or are in the same workplace with you, at least I was taught, you know, by my family, like you nod, you do the nod, right? It's, it's, hello, hello, fellow black person. We are here. And that's something I always see my dad do, whether we're in, and my mom, whether we're in New York, whether I'm in Connecticut, whatnot. But also I'm a shy person. So <laughs> I have this actual, and Tanana, you mentioned this, I, this book really came from a specific moment while I was working in book publishing, because I'll also add that after I did my MFA, I was uh, fortunate enough to be able to get a job and as an editorial assistant at Knopf Doubleday. Um, and, you know, oh, she's naming names. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I know. <laughs> nah, that's in my bio. So <laughs> I know. I'm just, kidding. Oh, okay. just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, we'll have the other conversation later. No, yeah. I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding, y'all. Maybe. But yeah, I had, I, I was you know, the only person, only Black person uh, working at editorial at the time. Unlike Nella, like the character in my book, I had a ton of allies who also were frustrated by how white this publishing house was, but it was still at the end of the day, like just me representing everybody. And, you know, as we are sometimes, you know, seen to do in white spaces. And I happened to run into this Black woman in the bathroom at work and I thought we'd have some kind of moment because I was like, oh, finally, there's somebody here. And that didn't happen. And I started thinking about that, about how like there is this part of me, even though I'm so comfortable, like I was saying, comfortable in these spaces, I can talk the talk. I, I get the references in the, this like traditionally white setting. I, there's still a part of me that wanted wanted that and needed that. And who knows if I had had that, if I would have stayed in publishing longer. Um, But it ended up 
with me writing this the novel. rest, <laughs> as they say, is history. And if I can just tell you something, I, I totally relate to so much of what you're saying. You're like a twin in terms of your experiences, <laughs> except I didn't find my girlfriend group until after college. It was in my first job as a reporter. But before I started that job, I spent a year in England. And that was where I learned that they did not do the nod in England. Okay, so <laughs> I have I mean, not, not tried it there. <laughs> I mean, not only was I having this like completely fish out of water, that's also when I cut my hair off because I didn't know they would have black hair products. The first thing I saw was Carefree Curl at the airport, a big display of Carefree Curl. I was like, oh, I cut my hair off, but I've never gone back. But the other thing was, you know. I love the short. I love it too. I love it short too. But of course, there are a lot of people of African descent and from the Caribbean who came home, right, to the colonizer. In, in England. And I'm on the campus. I just like, oh, every time I saw a Black person, I'm trying to do the nod. And I realized very quickly the nod was not a thing, wherever yep. they came <laughs> from. So, so yeah, that. But your book, Rooted in Truth, as you said, is so triggering. And I mean this in a good way. So <laughs> triggering that I saw someone on Twitter say, this book has me so triggered that it has me thinking I worked at a publishing house. <laughs> So that's so, so sad, but also so funny, and I love it. <laughs> we've all had those experiences wherever we worked. It's not a publishing house necessarily, but we've all had that experience of being the only one in the room. That was mm-hmm. what helped inspire Jordan Peele to do Get Out. His experiences being the only one in the room in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to ask you how you decided to take this very grounded real world world experience and then add this kind of surreal thriller event to your story. Yeah. So I am a like true crime lifetime movie, Stephen King. Like I love, I was thinking the other day, I was like, is there anything that I watch that's just light and like funny? And I think maybe like curb your enthusiasm, but even still there's like a little, there's like an an energy there that's like mm. a little like ah, that's my vibe like of things that I enjoy watching and and I, I will say also that I grew up watching the Twilight Zone like the original Twilight Zone was a big big show in my house the, those New Year's Eve marathons on sci-fi right. even though they terrified me especially the doll episode like I just I loved that feeling of being scared as a kid and as I've gotten older, I, I've come to and gone to therapy. I've come to decide that part of it's because I am a naturally, like, I'm naturally inclined to imagine all the ways things can go wrong. Like, I think that was actually in my dating profile when my husband and I met. <laughs> and he was like, what does this mean? But it is such a, like, and I think that's just in terms, of, that's me as a storyteller. But that that is also the thing that fascinates me and how what I'll do, how to face those issues, whether it's like, oh, I got snatched on the street or like, oh, like this girl that I met in this publishing house who I thought was going to be my friend actually is out to get me. And and that was really the first thought that I had after that uh, experience in the bathroom with a woman who, by the way, for the record, I'm sure is very lovely. <laughs> was not Probably distracted, might not have even noticed Probably in her didn't. head. Who knows? We're in the bathroom, like it's a private space. I get it. But but after that, I had that thought of like, what if she's a robot? You know, like I just like went in, I went there and I started thinking about all the reasons why she might be placed there. Spoiler, she's not a robot in the book. So I guess not a spoiler, but that really fascinated me because I, I don't know, I think it's, I think a lot of people feel that way, first of all, of like thinking about all of the possible scenarios. But I also think 
looking back on it, this, this kind of dynamic between Nell and Hazel in the book and in the show, it could be shown in other genres, but I don't think, I just felt like horror really spoke to, just as your quote says, Black history is Black horror. That horror is coming from, that experience for Nella is coming from the fact that she didn't have any Black people really before, I mean, before Malika, um, her best friend in the book and show. But like, it's also coming from this sense that like, we are supposed to be kinfolk. Like we have an unspoken, a lot of times unspoken understanding that we are going to look out for each other. Um, but then there's that other horror that like, again, not all, not all kinfolk is, I'm sorry, not all skinfolk is kinfolk. And right. sometimes we're crabs in a barrel. Sometimes we are not looking out for each other. And the thing that's been horrifying is how many readers have told me that this has been their experience with other Black people in office spaces. My dad included had an experience like this, like when back when he was working in the 90s and at a magazine. So I don't know. It's just something that really I had, like I said, it had been grounded in who I am of like the lore of things I've heard from my dad, other other older Black people in my life. But then it's something that's still happening today. And I mean, that just means it's ripe for storytelling, I feel like. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores, and it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free. And when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. Well, it absolutely is. It absolutely is. And I, I have so many questions in my head, but what I can't really wrap my head around is although this is a great story and obviously it found its moment, how does a debut novel become a New York Times bestseller? And what did it feel like when you realized, like at what point did you realize, oh my gosh, this could be big? I think that's such a good question because I've, I'm still having moments where I'm like, whoa, this is really happening still. Like I, it's still like listening to you read my bio. I was like, I, cause I'm so in it. I, I keep, I keep my head down. I'm sure you are the same way where you're just so into something and you're on the micro level. And then when you have a chance to kind of stand back, you're like, well, this is like the thing I've been working on. Um, but I think the moment was after my agent first sent out the pitch really like and she was 
texting me we're very close relationship and she was just like immediately was like I got this response like sending me just like the level of responses because when I had been querying this book I did not have a instant like all right agent represent wants to represent me oh, like, no, I, so- like no like publishing I don't know if they're ready for this like what if you change it to fashion like I don't oh. love the genre blends like I don't love so I I didn't get like an all amazing like response, which I think is most authors' experiences. It's it's hard. And so to then have this next submission process go so differently and so well was amazing. And that's when I really started, I'll never forget, I like went to see a movie the day that my agent sent it out. I think it was Island in the Sun. <laughs> and I just like was like, I'm not gonna look at my phone. And then I got out and I just had all these messages and I was like wow, okay, like people are into this. And the day it went out. The day it went out, yeah. yeah. So bidding situation is what that sounds like. Bidding situation, yes. And yes. I will also add that this was January, February, 2020. <laughs> so it was oh, like, it, wow. it was before. The other thing I'll also also add is that American Dirt, which I had like missed the drama behind that book by Janine Cummings. Like the, she she wrote about the um, Mexican immigration and people are like the, the the conversation about who's right, who can tell what stories was also like fresh in publishing's mind. I was uh, unaware of that. I was like in my bubble editing, but then I came out and I know that was, I'm sure that was also part of why people were ready to be talking about that issue as well. Catch your moment however you catch it. If it hadn't been for Terry McMillan, I doubt I could have sold my book as quickly just because she was a sensation that people were looking at. What's the next commercial hit? We don't know. If it's horror, (laughs) if it's not horror, they didn't care. It's unpredictable, this this business, as we know. Yes. So looking forward to I have not had a chance to take a look at the show, but I have I have some guesses I can make about the way you storytell. You've got too much of a sense of humor. (laughs) <laughs> and, and you're 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 too good at creating rapport and kind of leaning in with people when when you're interested that suggests to me that you are aware of the issues and the problems but you have a very clear sense that you believe that you belong in the winner's circle no and that you're prepared to work very very hard but you you take the work more seriously than you take yourself your attention is on the work. So that can be really useful when you get hit, you know, and bad things happen because your attention is on where you're going to go next rather than poor little me. So that suggests that you're balancing humor and horror. How yes. do you read my diary? Oh, he has a gift. My palm. <laughs> no, this is this this is good. I'm I'm watching you, yeah. the, there are there are finite routes to growth and balance and health in life. Mm-hmm. There are infinite routes to being sick. Okay. Well, you know, the, the, every, uh, every unhappy family is unhappy in its own way. Okay. So, right. so when I see somebody who is succeeding at the level that you're succeeding at, there are a finite number of things that could be true about how you grew up, who you are now, how you've experienced things, your coping mechanisms, you know, mm-hmm. it's, the reason that modeling success works is because you have these general recipes for being a healthy, dynamic, balanced adult human being. 
and that the world will try to to tear you off that path. So we'll give you more success if you go over here, if you whore yourself over here, if you give yourself away over here. The same thing, of course, is true in relationships. People will offer you love or pain, depending on whether or not you will be what they need you to be. So somebody armored you. Somebody helped you to find your heart so that when you get knocked off balance, like a little little bouncy, you know, inflatable clown, you find your way back to your balance as rapidly as possible. I'm sure you cry and you scream at the wall and then you kind of gird up your loins and say, no, you know, it ain't that kind of party. And, and you get in there and you put your pain into the work. That's how I see you. And you know what, honey, I think you've, you've made a really good point there. And it's something you've said about me, even though there were times we were off balance and feeling a little bit lost and like we didn't know who we were and hadn't found our people yet, our, our spaces yet, that homeschooling aspect, being sort of wrapped within Black history mm. and, par- and, and parents who teach you, basically, even if they don't put it this way, don't judge yourself by the way the world judges you. The yeah. truth yeah. of who you are is in this home. Yes. And, and I think that's part of the reason they don't do the nod in the UK because they got that back in Ghana. They got that, See, that back in Trinidad. I'm so. looking at this. Both of you got this in your home. You found your tribe when you went to work. Zakia, you found your tribe when you went to school. There are ways in which I did not find my tribe until I met Tananarive. Oh my gosh, at, poor at, baby. At, at Clark Atlanta University. Yeah. You know, when I walked into a, a room full of black people who liked Rocky and Bullwinkle, and I said, <laughs> what? You know, I, <laughs> I was used to being the only one. I was right. used to being a stranger in a strange land. And people ask me, do you speak a second language? I say, yes, I speak fluent Caucasian. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, it is a language. So it is. seeing the value of what we need to give in our homes to contextualize the life that our children are going to leave, are going to lead, it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. I don't, you know, I... I envy you in one sense, but I don't begrudge it to you at all. You know, I wish I'd had parents who could have done that for me, but I became who I am because I did not. Yeah, that's and, true. And you if did I like the work. person I am, then I have to accept the path that got me here. But I'm glad mm-hmm. that you and Tananarive are having this conversation right here. I've said this to her before. I think that you guys should be in, in communication. Oh, uh, we will. Oh, well, I, yes, this yes. Is first, this is the first, um, not the last. I see some. I see some girlfriend potential here. You'll get tired of me. You'll be like, oh, this no, no, I won't. <laughs> but I, but I do want to ask you this, Sister Sojourner. We've we've been beating at this. Holly, I've been beating at this wall in Hollywood for about twenty five years. I got my first adaptation in bless you twenty twenty one, right <laughs> on Horror Noir, the Shutter movie. Steve and I co wrote a couple of segments of that. That was my first adaptation, which but, I want to also add. And I I can't remember if I wrote this in my sneaky DM, but that I had seen that right around the time when I started writing this novel, and it it brought my husband, about my my best friend, one of my good friends, best friends, you know, all of those things, and it just really changed my perspective. Like I'd always loved horror, but I the documentary. Never, oh, the documentary. Documentary. Yeah. I'm yeah. sorry. Sorry. Yeah. No, that's I, fine. I I, I just. It really, really opened my eyes and it was fun. It was, I learned so much. I, again, I'm, I'm a big horror fan, but it made me really look into movies I hadn't seen and didn't mm-hmm. know about and mm-hmm. probably wouldn't have known about if not for 
that documentary. So anyway, sorry. I just well, had that's to- great. Well, I was just lucky to be brought on. They had already pitched it and sold it when they brought me on. So I want to I want to talk about the Hollywood journey because literally part of our theme as Steve and I are breaking into Hollywood is talking to other people to sort of demystify what's this about. You know, we've had past guests where what we gave them to talk about, if you say anything that you don't want to say or don't want to talk about, say Rosebud. And we started to ask about Hollywood and they were like, Rosebud, Rosebud, Rosebud. (laughs) (laughs) And that's very (laughs) typical. But when I first moved here, I don't think she would mind me telling this story. I ran into Terry McMillan at a party. She's my heroine. She was the only black writer I knew whose work had been adapted. And when I told her, I was all wide-eyed, oh, we're going to move to LA, we're going to set. She grabbed my shoulders, looked into my eyes and said, don't do it. (laughs) So it sounds like you've had a different experience, at least knock on wood, you have. How did did the producers start calling right away? And what was that adaptation process like? Okay, it's, I was like getting my notes together and I've I've been really reflecting on it now that the show is over and I love the show so much. It's beautiful. It's well acted. It's gorgeous. It's intriguing. Thank you. I, everybody just really put their foot in it and I, I am very happy and am in this place. I'm not very good at celebrating and like really I don't know. I don't, I don't gas myself up. My friends, my, you know, I saw my like sisterhood this past weekend, actually in, in Miami and they were just gassing me up in this way that I, they're like, you should be talking about this show more often. I was like, I don't know, but I really do feel like because I was a part of it in the way that I was, it is what I wanted it to be. I feel very fortunate that I got to do that. And I'll go back and say that. So the beginning of that whole process started shortly after or while we were actually talking to publishers. So we hadn't sold the book yet. And I was kind of interviewing with different TV film agents while I was also meeting with editors. So it was kind of like one of those like, whoa, uh, I got my spiel down real fast. But while that was going on, I was, you know, also preparing for a pandemic, you know, no biggie and ended up going with these two agents and then immediately we started sending they started sending the book out to producers to potential co-writers and I'm literally learning because I did not write to this goal I wrote to the goal of publishing a novel not working on tv or anything like that so I was literally learning all of the terms all of the steps which change depending on so many things. Sometimes you write the show first and then you have, there's so many steps, but the way it worked for me was having these conversations with producers and writers and really just like sussing out what their ideas were, what changes they would want to make, how they saw it ending. If they saw it as a TV show versus a movie, that was a really fascinating thing to learn about from different, different adapters or possible co-writers. And I remember writing after every conversation which was on the phone, not on Zoom, because Zoom wasn't really a thing yet. A thing um, yet, yeah. It was just crazy to think about. I remember writing a f- little breakdown of every conversation and sending it to my agents just so like, I could be like, this is what I liked. This is what they said. And a decent amount were like, we want you as involved as you want to be. We would love to have your voice. And I think part of that, um, I think happens has has to do with my writing, but also this the publishing world itself is such 
uh, such a very specific world that like uh-huh. they just really didn't want, at least my understanding is that they really wanted it to feel specific to that industry. Um, because we have shows like Younger, which I, I do love, but like watching it, I'm like, this isn't publishing. <laughs> like mm-hmm. these people do not have these budgets. Like this is not, I don't know. It, and so they really wanted it to feel unique to that. And, and again, Nella has so much of me in her that like, it was just hard to, at least for me at first to sever myself from her. And so that was a whole other process that could probably be in a whole other podcast. So, but I ended up, oh yeah, go ahead. No, go on, you go. It's, 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 oh no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I promise I'm getting to that. I'm, I'm hanging on, I'm, I'm, I'm listening. I'm eating popcorn while I listen to this. <laughs> but essentially I landed with Temple Hill Productions and Tara Duncan, who is a black woman who is a producer. She had just been at Netflix at the time. She left and she was up then just producing. And now she's at, she has a studio Onyx. Um, and th- I remember meeting with her because I had met with Temple Hill like over the phone. They were great. We were like, we want you involved. We'd love to have you co-writing, partner you with talent. But they're all white producers. And Tara Duncan happened to be in town. This was like, I think the week before the city shut down in New York. And we just talked for like a couple hours about the show, about life, about comps we talked about Watchmen which I hadn't Mm. seen yet the the Mm -hmm. new Mm -hmm. HBO show but or Max I guess now Uh, but we just had a great talk great vibe and that was really my biggest concern was like I want to feel like I can talk to you I want to feel like I get to have a say and I also want to learn from you because again I didn't know anything and from there we started having the calls with potential co-writers and I landed with Rashida Jones who was incredible. She showed me the ropes. I learned so much. But yeah, I could I could go on and on and on. But was but there that a was, room? Were you in the room? Yeah. So so from there, after Rashida and I did many, 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 many outlines of the pilot of the full season of a potential full show, pitches, Zoom I pitches. Honey, so I know. you know, I know, I know. <laughs> we know we did a two pager. We did it. We did all of the. We did all the pages. All the terms. <laughs> they sent us to script, and I think I even wrote it down because I, I'm, I'm trying to get a better handle on things and time and advice. But it's in like March. It was like 2021. We spent a lot of time perfecting that, and then we were given the go ahead to make a room in early 2022. Very exciting. We yeah, were just in our first room together earlier this year, right before the strike. Like as soon as the room ended, the strike started. But oh. I, I can tell you, even as someone who's who's been published longer and who'd even sold scripts, a writer's room is like a whole different animal compared oh to my gosh. just a screenwriter. It's, I mean, and right. So I'm learning, I'm learning the room vibe. <laughs> yes. I'm learning the Zoom room vibe, right? Because I I also can imagine it's very different in person. And I'm also like learning still how to write a script, yes. how to make jokes like that. And I'm like, whoa, I'm funny, but I don't know if I'm that funny. Right. <laughs> like, it's, it's a very big learning, learning experience. And I was intimidated. Like I was very, cause I, I, even though I did my MFA, even though I got used to criticism it's a whole different kind of criticism as you like, it's, it's just a different vibe. No, it's in the moment you're pitching, you know, an idea right at the table and the table is stone silent. Like that's, 
Yes, you're vulnerable. You're opening yourself up. And sometimes it's like, wait, what? The connection. Yeah. You were probably an executive producer. And, you know, one difference in your experience is that you're one of the people who got to say yes and no, as opposed to being like the new young screen, the staff writer who really doesn't have any influence. It's true. But even still, I have to tell you, like, I mean, again, and this is something that I've been really working on because for so much of my life, I've been assistant positions up in my first job, I was working in like a basement of like a doctor's office, like scanning medical records and like, worked with a bunch of, like, I've never been, I'd never been like uh, at this level that I suddenly was, but then also just so many things I didn't know. Right. So I'm trying to navigate that. Like, this is my novel, but also I'm not going to come in and be like, this is my novel because I also trusted the writers and the producers who were in this world, their instincts. So it was really figuring out when to push back, when to be like, no, this is what I want. And I honestly feel like that was one of the best parts of this experience for me was like, it selfishly, I learned so much about myself and I've also gotten so much better at saying no. (laughs) Exactly. Something that you feel you learned about yourself. I mean, the, definitely the saying no and definitely just, I'm a, I guess the other thing I'd say is like, I'm a good writer. Like I already knew that, but I Mm -hmm. think being in this other space and like, I mean, I'm sending, I'm sending Rashida Jones, like scripts. Like I had to like cut away the kind of insecurity and cut away the thing that I do when I'm sending like pros to, you know, whether it's my, my agent, my editor, my, my husband, my dad, like, I ha- I usually will give disclaimers and be like, oh, like that. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. You don't have time to do that, really. At least we didn't have time for the show. Like, I had to just put, just go with it and let myself go and trust myself that I that I that I had it, that I could convey this scene, that I could do this thing. And did I fall sometimes? Yeah, but other times, like I pitched something or I wrote something that like was just like I see it in the show now, and I'm like, I'm so glad that I trusted my gut to like go with that, you know. Bearing uh, spoilers. Oh, I'm sorry, honey. No, I, please, I was just going to say, bearing spoilers in mind, what is the most significant change in your mind between the book and the series without giving too much away? Oh, I know it's hard without giving it away. I, know. I, know, I already know some changes, but I, I want to hear what you have to say. <laughs> well, can I first ask you if you think this is too much of a spoiler and then you can oh, cut sure. it? Oh, can... I, can... I was going to say, I think I'd say the the end. That That's all. I mean, I won't say what's different. I just, Nella, Nella is not, Nella has, how do I say this? When we started writing the show, we really wanted to talk about all the ways the world has and hasn't changed since I wrote the book in 2019 so which is like crazy but like how much obviously we all know 2020 changed conversations for the better and for the worse and a lot in some ways I feel like things are even more like coded and things are even more like set up to like appeal to certain demographics of people and it's a whole other conversation too but we're talking about Nella and really trying to understand what what makes her tick and but why 
why she feels the need to to be in this space, why she wants to be in this space and what's important about publishing to her. And so we really wanted the ending to reflect just how much, you know, she of a hard worker she is and okay. how much she believes in what she's where she is and what she's doing. But that I don't is- know if that's not spoilery at all. Okay. Like literally not spoilery. So we can be very comfortable with that. Good. The question that I had, and you might have already answered it, but I just want to be careful about this. It, it is clear that under stress, under production stress, you got the voices in your head that say that you're not enough to shut up. Mm. Without that production stress, do they still talk to you? Mm. That's a good question. Yeah. I think, I mean, mm, I, I like to think, and just to clarify, you mean like, have I taken this confidence into, into other avenues of my life? Or I want to make sure I'm... certainly that question. Yeah, in my writing. In that question. One of the things that we have, especially those of us who are very verbally facile, is clear voices in our head saying, you're not enough, you can't do it, watch out, don't say that, so forth. And you found yourself in a situation where there literally wasn't time for all that nonsense. Yeah, yeah. Let yourself blow. And you found out that you really were as good as you think you are. Okay? Yeah. Now, outside the room, without that pressure, you can hear those voices more clearly. So the question is, has the tenor of the voices changed? Has their intensity (laughs) changed? Yeah. Can you describe what's different? Because an awful lot of people let themselves get stopped by those voices. And those voices Mm -hmm. are always going, what might be called the radio voice. Buddhism deals with that a lot. There are a lot of Mm -hmm. meditations to deal with that. So what has happened? how How were those voices educated over the process that you went through? Yeah, that's such a good question. I mean, I I definitely still have those voices. I'm I'm working on my next book now. No pressure. I know. No <laughs> pressure. No pressure. But that is <laughs> exactly that is that has been such an interesting transition to go from all these voices in the room, on set, on all the email chains, and then now to be kind of back in my safe space, I guess you would say, where it's me, it's the it's the people that I mentioned before that I send my writing to, right? And I I like to think it does I, I do still feel that confidence. I mean I'm still of course like, oh my God, like what if people are just tremendously disappointed in this this follow-up and people have been asking me for years, when's the next book coming out? And when's the show coming out? And like I just disappoint them. That of course enters my mind at times but what I've been trying to do and this kind of goes into practices I don't know if it's too early to to say this but I I have been slowly even though I'm not really online as much anymore but I've been slowly just trying to turn off the other voices that are oftentimes influencing that you know oh this person just published Mm -hmm. their fifth book in however many years this person is just nominated for this award this person you know and really just trying to focus on the day by day on me on the reason why I do this work is both because I feel like I have a story to tell I have stories to tell and things to share with the world but I also just really love it you know I just love the writing and my 
my my dad is a writer, my older sister is a writer. But I remember as a young person, my dad just telling me how much he loves writing and and how it brings him joy and how lucky he feels that this is a thing that like he can, it's his work. And I just feel so lucky to have had that example. He's also a teacher, so a professor, journalism professor. So having that kind of grounding as a young person and seeing like this is an occupation where someone can work with words and that's their full-time job, like I... I see that and I feel very lucky. So I I try to focus more on the micro level of I am enjoying putting this sentence sentence together and imagining all the ways this person's, you know, adventure or workplace situation can go wrong and just leaning into that. But I would love to find if I didn't have those thoughts still, you know. When you are thrown off balance, and it isn't whether or not you get thrown off the horse, it's how long it takes you to get back on. So what practices do you use? What rituals or internal monologues or whatever it is that you use to get back on the horse? Do you call your friends? Do you go for a walk? Do you work out? You know, do you you get a hug? Do you have a big stack of pancakes? What do you do to get yourself recentered? Yeah, working out has been a big thing for me since in the last year and a half of having a routine, especially when you have one of those days where it's like, I've been on email for five hours somehow. Like I need to just not what look at it. Uh, I run. Oh, I run and I do Pilates. So I like try to, I try to do both. And a lot of times when I'm doing that, I'm listening to a fresh air podcast. I'm listening. What Yesterday I was listening to your episode about, you know, the post strike and what happens next. And I just like to, while I'm physically working out or while I'm going somewhere, I'm also constantly, and sometimes not, I listen to music too. I love music, but I have been really lately trying to re-engage with the literary community by listening to people talk about their craft, funny podcasts, pop culture podcasts, just like having language around all the time. Cause I am, a, I'm a full-time writer and I get so very lucky to say that, but I also need to have other things coming in. Otherwise I'm just here in your um, head. and I like being here. I like being in my head, but yeah, sometimes I need to have that outlet. It's um, a whole big world out there. And also there's community out there. So. Yes, exactly. The other exactly. thing I want you to remember these people who put out their fifth book, they wish they were you. I know, I know. that's right. <laughs> I know that's always more they're showing on TV. And I know people who've had, television series and been able to be engaged in the process of creating it. So, you know, it's, it's always important to understand that you are somebody else's, you're living somebody else's dream life. Absolutely. Totally. Totally. No. And a thousand percent. I mean, the other thing to, and to that point, I will say like, it was cool. The, the book, my, my team did really well. And we all did like the, the promotion, the publicity that we did for the book was amazing, but there's something about a show that I've just, Personally, my experience has been it's been able to reach more people. The story, oh, absolutely, that's the and whole idea. Yes, selling more books, that. and the exactly that's it. <laughs> but the thing that's been the most rewarding too has been just the messages I get from strangers. Nice messages, <laughs> like I was like, oh wow, like people who wouldn't have necessarily picked up the book, and especially black people who have just like have really you know fallen 
in love with the show or have seen themselves in one of the characters in the show and just sent me thank yous for it. I said, I take screenshots of all of those, even though I can't respond to everybody, I take screenshots and I save them in a folder for myself. And that's mm-hmm. what really keeps me grounded and and being like, I can, I, can, I did this before. I'll do this again. It won't have the same results, but like, I hope there will be that as well. That's all my goal is to touch readers and and enjoy enjoy myself while I'm doing it. So, oh, good for you. I, I, I really hope, I wish for that for you because is, marinate in the moment, marinate in it. This is often the point in the broadcast where we talk about the program that we have set up, the year long, the life writing year long program. That oh, right. About, life writing. About structure. All the structure is important or character. Oh, that's yes. important or thematics or poetics or whatever else that Aristotle talked about thousands of years ago. It's also just how do you keep that smile on your face? How do you roll with it? How do you keep from, you know, shooting up Drano when things go wrong? <laughs> the, the life writing podcast is the best of what Tanana or even I know about how to have a high energy creative career and stay married, stay sane, stay healthy. Sweetheart. Yeah, Life Writing Premium is our year-long program. The It's the sponsor of this podcast and gave birth to this spot podcast. And if you like the podcast, you're going to love the course. New modules every week, 52 modules. Complete them at your own pace because it's completely online. So it's a combination of videos, essays, lectures, really a hodgepodge, whether you're a prose writer or a screenwriter, just starting out or you need a kick in the pants, check it out at www.lifewritingpremium.com. Zakia, thank you so much for being on the show. Is there anything you want to say about where people can find you? People want to send you one of those great notes about how much they love <laughs> your book or they love the show? Or yeah. you love you. Oh, this is, first of all, I'm like, what? It's already, it's already time. This has been so delightful. Like the Thank you. Truly a highlight of just my week, my month, my career. So this, I really appreciate you guys. Um, But you can find me online sometimes on Instagram is mostly the thing that I am most active on. It's at my full name, Zakia Dalila Harris. And I'm also have a website, ZakiaDalilaHarris.com. And yeah, my, hopefully my next book will be coming out in 2025. So keep an eye on that, on the socials. Oh, we will. Well, you have been, and you'd say you're glad to be here. We're so glad to have had you on the podcast. Your energy is great. I'm so thrilled for you and your experience. Can't wait to see what's next. Can't wait to get to the finale of the series because I know it's different. And, And listeners, go out and make yourselves the hero or heroine of your own story. The hero in the adventure of your lifetime. Take care. Bye bye, everybody. Rosebud. You've been listening to the Life Writing Podcast. Join us next time for more conversations about creating the project of your dreams. For more information, go to lifewritingpremium.com and get ready to write for your life.